Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. Thanks for being here today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, we just want to say thanks for coming, spending part of your day with us, and checking out our church. A few of us pastors will be down front after the service. We'd love for you to come down and say hello. We're in a series kicking off this year that is challenging us to live differently. It's challenging us to live in a way that causes people to ask questions. It's called my questionable life. And that's in a good way. To live in a way that makes people look at your life and say, why do you live that way? What's the reason? And then be able to answer them. What would it look like 12 months from now if our entire church said, we're going to live different. We're going to live in such a way that that causes people to look at our life and ask questions and then let that spark conversations. I have this dog at my house. She's been with us for 10 years. If you know me, you know Zoe and I have this love-hate relationship. Uh, she's a sweet dog, but sometimes she makes my blood boil. Not, not kidding. If you come to my house and ring the doorbell, she barks. And she's not like a dog that's like roof, that sounds like, oh, I'm afraid I better back away. She's a little white yappy dog. And so when you, when you ring the doorbell, no matter what's going on, whether I'm napping on a Sunday afternoon or whatever, ring that doorbell, she's going to bark. And just my, my blood just boils and just, oh. You probably have things in your life that when they happen, it sets you off, right? Anybody have those things? We tell the truth. We all have something that when it happens, it makes us just, ah, I can't believe that. Or you say things you normally wouldn't say. Or hurt feelings you normally wouldn't hurt because the anger just came up and you exploded. Anger can get ugly. And all of us have something that will set us off and make the blood quickly rush to our heads. Today we're going to look at some things in Scripture, in the Bible, that deal with anger. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. You can keep it if you would like. You can borrow it. You can also read along on the screen. All the scriptures will be up there as well. So when you read through the Bible, there's two different kinds of anger that that are displayed. The first one is bad anger. Bad anger leads to really bad things. Right now, I I found some stats over the past couple of weeks that two-thirds of teenagers, teenagers sitting down here, two-thirds of you deal with anger and lose your temper on a regular basis. And 80% of us in this room deal with road rage on one side or the other. Maybe even today. In my neighborhood, the speed limit is 25. And I've taken it as my responsibility to make sure that when people are behind me, they go 25. In fact, When they're behind me and I know they're going more than 25, I go 20. That's one of the reasons I don't have a LifePoint Church sticker on the back of my car. Because like if if you're in a hurry and you're going over the speed limit where a bunch of kids are playing, you're going to go way under the speed limit if you're behind me. Sometimes when I know I've made somebody mad because I can see it in my rearview mirror, I don't pull in at my house. I just just keep going. I go around the block because I don't want them to know who it is. All of us, in some way, deal with anger. One of the, one of the things that, that the rage that is on the rise, increasing more and more every year, is called technology rage. 
It's where you can't get a signal and you want to take that phone and just slam against the wall. Or, you know, your computer's not working. You just want to keep slamming it shut. Or you don't have Wi-Fi. Oh my gosh, you're somewhere. You can't get Wi-Fi. You know, you book the flight and it's two hours and you think, I'll get online while I'm on there. Sorry, the Wi-Fi's not working today. And you're thinking, let me off. I got to get off. So, so that rage is starting to rise, but there's, there's more serious anger. The kind that leaves people with scars. The kind that when you say words that no matter how many times you say you're sorry and even forgiven, you can't pull those words back in. The kind that turns in to physical violence at times. The kind that needs to be dealt with or you're just going to leave a long line of insecurity and fear behind you. Now, those of you who struggle with saying angry words, you might say, I'm just really direct. And that's good. I like people to be direct and just tell me. It's hard to hurt my feelings unless you talk about my my wife or my girls. That's it. Not much else would hurt my feelings. So I like for people to be direct. But those of you who are direct, that's not an excuse to be rude. Never. And there's a fine line between being a direct person and being rude and people being repulsed by you. So you have to be careful that when the rage comes up inside of you, that you don't say things that you wish, oh, I wish I could pull those words back into my mouth. That's bad anger. The Bible talks about this kind of anger, this bad anger, and what it can do to a person's life and the people around them. Because when we deal with anger, mostly people deal with it a couple different ways. Some people are spewers. You know, when they're angry, everybody knows it. You can see it on their face. You can hear it in the words that they say. You can, you can just sense it in their body language, and they're going to say something about it. You know those kind of angry people? The Bible actually talks to them. A guy named King Solomon in the Old Testament wrote a, a book, wrote a lot of Proverbs about this is how you should live life. This is a better way to live. And here's what he had to say about anger. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. When you do something, when, you, when you're suffering from bad anger and you make a decision, you do something, most of the time you're thinking, oh, that was foolish, right? It's rare that you make a decision when you're whipped up into that kind of anger and you say, well, I'm so glad I did that. I am so glad I said that. I'm so glad I, I did this to this person or said this to this. I'm so glad. Most of the time that's not gonna happen. So if you're a spewer, you have to be really careful in handling your anger that way. Now, some people are stewers. You know, they keep it down inside. They spew it or they stew on it. You know those kind of people. Like, you just know when everything lines up right, it's coming out and it's not going to be pretty because they kept it bottled deep down inside for so long. And that's not healthy to keep anger like that. In Psalm 32, King David said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Bad anger leads nowhere good. Bad anger always leads to bad results, bad marriages, bad relationships, scars in people's lives. So why, why is bad anger bad? Why, why, is it, why, do you, why can't you just display it or say it or keep it down inside? Why not? Well, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul 
Paul was the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that you read. Uh, Paul became a follower of Christ after being opposed to Christ. And Paul started to plant and lead churches and did that, had more influence on the first century church of anybody other than Jesus himself. And so Paul would write these letters to churches that he planted. And one church in a town called Ephesus, he wrote to them to just give them some advice about this is how you should live. Now, he didn't use these words, but basically what he's saying is, if you live like this, people are going to ask questions. This is how to live a questionable life. And when he's talking to them about anger, this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, he says something really profound about anger, especially if you're dealing with this bad anger that's down inside or you're spewing it out all over the people around you. He says in this word foothold, he's saying, don't give the devil who wants to defeat you, no matter who you are, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, all the devil wants to do is get you further away from God in every part of your life in any way possible. So if something makes you angry as far as his power can allow it, he's going to make it all line up. So your anger can be displayed. And so what Paul is saying is, deal with anger. Because we do get angry. Maybe you're getting angry at your boss or your employees or your spouse or your kids. And what he's saying is, of course, you're going to get angry. He, he assumes that. But while you're angry, don't let it keep just boiling and don't let it spew out. Don't sin while you're angry. Because when you do, it gives the devil a foothold. And that word foothold in the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, literally means opportunity, location, place, or room. So what he's saying is, when you don't deal with anger, this bad kind of anger, you are giving your opponent, the devil, room to work in your life. And you're giving him opportunities to work in your life when you refuse to deal with it. So he's saying, don't let the sun go down. In other words, don't live in it. Don't keep living in it day after day after day, because what happens is it gives the devil this place in your life that he shouldn't have. So if you are really into bad anger and you're thinking, oh yeah, you listening, honey? Wake up. Listen, what are you saying? Bad anger. You know what bad anger does? It makes people, it makes people afraid of you or repulsed by you, one or the other. Either they're afraid, like, oh, what do I say? I better be careful today. If I say just the wrong words, they're going to fly off or they're going to bury it deep down inside. I'm going to get the silent treatment for a week. I'm just not sure how to do Everybody around you, when you're full of bad anger, they don't know how to respond or act. Bad anger does nothing but hurt you and the people around you because it's selfish. When we get angry about things that only affect us, It's really selfish, and we don't want that kind in our life. So our challenge today is to take anger, which is a natural emotion, and we all have to deal with it. We've got to learn how to deal with it and keep it out of our lives. Our challenge is to take this bad anger and redirect it to good anger, because there is such a thing as good anger. Or what I want to say for this series, questionable anger. And it's the kind that gets angry about the right things which is really difficult sometimes. Because when you see a news story or something that, that just affects others, it's, it's difficult sometimes to get angry about things that just affect others. So how can we move from this bad anger to good anger? 
Because at some point, all of us look out at the world and say things like, that shouldn't be. Whether it's poverty or racism, addiction, murder, genocide, whatever it is, we look and say, it shouldn't be that way. But it's challenging to us to experience good anger because it's hard to get angry about something that doesn't affect us. That's how you can take one topic. Just think about news topics over the last several months. Maybe news topics about the huge racial divides that exist in some places in our world. Maybe near us, maybe not. But this huge racial, racial divide and people who love God, who love Jesus, who aren't racist have very different views and very different ways to approach it. So why is that? Well, because we approach things based on our background, based on uh, the amount of money we maybe have or don't have, based on the way our parents treated us, based on how we grew up, based on our current place in life. And so we approach it like that. And so it's difficult for us to put ourselves sometimes in the other person's shoes. But only by doing that can we get rid of that selfish anger and start to move into this kind of anger that some people call righteous anger, good anger, that can really change things. Several years ago, I spent some time at a prison. I mean, willingly, it was on purpose. I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a sentence, it was a choice, okay? I, I went to this, that came out wrong, didn't it? I, so I went to this prison as part of this prison ministry, and I met with some of the hardest criminals there, who before that, I would have just said, well, of course, he deserves that. He deserves death for what he did. He deserves to be locked up for life. And that might be true, but as I sat down with people who were either on death row or they were um, in there for life, no chance of ever getting out because of something horrible that they had done, and I do believe they deserve to be there, but as I started to develop a relationship, especially with a couple of those guys who from 16 years ago, I still have their addresses. I can still get in touch with them. What was this evil, mean, scary person who did bad things? All of a sudden, when they tell their story, I remember that first day, literally walking down a hallway with guards, people yelling nasty things and all that. So I go to this chapel that the church I was a part of at that time was building at Angola State Prison in Louisiana. That's like a really, that's where the bad, bad, that's where the bad guys go that they don't want the other bad guys to be around. I mean, it's a really bad place. But as the, the first day when I sat and I heard a couple guys' stories about what got them there, they're really open. I walked away thinking, the difference between that guy and me, he has acted upon something that I probably thought about. Probably every single one of those. And I started to see them in a different light as I read God's word with them. And so it helped me understand these people need Jesus just as much as everybody else. These people need to experience forgiveness. They deserve it just as much as everybody else. They've made horrible mistakes they're going to have to pay for with their life or for the rest of their life, but they still deserve to know about the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus. Totally changed my outlook. Some of us, when we see, uh, you know, you're, you're going to probably today see somebody holding a sign by the street that's got some kind of a sob story on it that's asking you for money. And sometimes... You may think like I think. Dude, why can't you just go to McDonald's and get a job? Walmart's always hiring nighttime stalkers. Why don't you just go there? I mean, do you th be honest. Do you ever think that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you, I'm sure you'd think that. 
What would it be like if you sat down and had a conversation and started to kind of put yourself in their shoes? Because you'll never experience good anger if we just stay in our nice, comfortable lives without trying to understand where somebody else is coming from. That might be what they need to do, but maybe they've tried that and it didn't work for whatever reason. Maybe something so bad has happened in their life, the only thing left is to stand out there and lose all form of dignity and say, please help me get food. Or maybe they're so addicted to something they can't do anything else and they just need help. So only when we start to shift and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and stop thinking about, well, this affects me and it makes me mad, will we move from this bad anger to good anger. Without questionable anger, the world never changes. Without people looking out at the world and saying, this shouldn't be, the world won't change. Tomorrow, most people, if you're in a public school, you're out of school because why? We're honoring and celebrating Martin Luther King Day. Dr. Martin Luther King looked out at the world and he said, it shouldn't be that way. And I'm so angry that it's that way. He didn't promote violence, but he said, we need to rise up and we need to stop this because, you know, he's a pastor first. And so when he read his Bible, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ. He got angry. Because the color of his skin, he had to drink a different water fountain. He got angry because he had to live in a different neighborhood or even go to a different church. He got angry about it. And he decided to give his life, his life's purpose to do something about it. That's good anger. And because of his anger, everything he was angry about is largely gone. We can all drink out of the same water fountain out there in the lobby. We can all go to the same restroom. We can all live in the same neighborhood. We can go to the same church that's what good anger does. It influences the world in a positive way and shines a light on the gospel of Christ, the good news. So if you're taking notes, here's, here's the thing you can tweet today if you're a tweeter, all right? Or Facebook this. Anger about the right thing is a good thing. So how do I get good anger in my life? How do I live questionably so, so people would say, why are you so angry about that? Well, it might surprise you to know if you don't know much about the life of Jesus that Jesus got angry. He didn't just walk around all the time with doves on his shoulder and holding little babies. That wasn't what he did all the time. He got really ticked off at times. And we're gonna look at a couple of episodes in Jesus's life where he got mad, where he got angry and he acted upon it. The first one's in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem when he's coming in to start the, the, the week where uh, all the stuff that, you, you know, we're going to celebrate when Easter comes. And, and w when that's getting started, he shows up in Jerusalem. He shows up in the temple and it says this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer because you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now, why would that make Jesus so angry? Well, you have to understand what the temple meant in that day. It was everything. It was the center of all religious life. It was where people went to worship. It was where they went to learn. It's where anything connected with God, they would think, I'm gonna go there and identify with God while I'm there. 
It was much more than, it wasn't a church building. It was the place where they said, God dwells there. God doesn't dwell in this building unless the church is here. The bodies are here. There, they believe God is right there in that building. And so it was set up in such a way, and it had these concentric circles or courts, and based on who you were, it meant that's where you got to go. So take a look at this on the screen. This is this is pretty much the temple, and everything kind of pointed towards that holy place that's in the top center. That's where they believe God is here. And so they set it up in such a way that people would know where they stood in their minds and their standing with God. So there's the outer court. That's where Jesus got angry and kicked all these people out. It was called the court of Gentiles. Anybody could go there and worship. All non-Jews could go there and worship. There were non-Jews worshiping God. They could go there, but they couldn't go any further. Then the, the next court was called the court of women. Now, that's not like the singles ministry at the temple. That's, that's something completely different. You had to be Jewish to go there. All Jews could go there, but female Jews could go no further than the court of women. They weren't allowed to go any closer to the holy place. That's the only place they could go and express their worship. Then there was the court of priests. At that time, only men could be in that level of leadership. And so that's only, only men could go there, only priests could go there. And then the holy place, which is the one high priest, is the only one that could go there. And as you got closer, things got more exclusive. It would be like today, us saying something like, Okay, basketball fans in the room, uh, we're going to be for our hometown team, uh, NC State, right here in Raleigh, and all you state basketball fans, you can sit down front. Just come on down. Pack fans, come on. Come on down and, and, and sit down here. Now, Duke fans, we tolerate you, so you sit in the back, all right? You make sure if you check your Duke fan card at the door, you got to sit in the back. And if you're a Carolina fan, it's like find another church, you know. You can't even come here. Couldn't even grace the presence of this place. I'm sorry if you're into Carolina. I, I didn't mean that completely. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but that's what they were doing. They were saying based on, for them, it was based on your race, based on your gender, based on where and how you were born. Based on that, you can't have full access to God. And another one of the books in the New Testament that tell the story of the life of Christ, the book of Mark says this, Jesus said, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So they were excluding people based on their nationality, based on their race, their economic status, their gender, even their physical status. If you had some kind of physical ailment or disease or disability, then you were considered cursed. You couldn't even get in. And that's the context that Jesus walks into and is filled with anger. And then he sees people selling doves and loses it. One of the stories about Christ in the New Testament says he used a whip to get them out. Now, that's a big deal when the Son of God, the creator of the universe, pulls out a whip and get out. Could you just see him scattering? It says he kicked their chairs out from under them. I mean, that's kind of cruel, right? Just boom, have that. How about sit there for a while? And he was upset because they were selling doves to poor people. And why, why would that make Jesus mad? Because if you, were, if you were sacrificing a dove, it meant that you were poor. You didn't have a lamb. You didn't have a goat. You didn't have oxen. You didn't have anything like that. All you could do was bring a dove. So the temple guards developed this system and the people that led the temple that, hey, we're going to disapprove because there's a lot more poor people than there are rich people. So we're going to disapprove of all the doves that come in and we're going to charge 
for these doves and we're going to put a temple tax on top of it. We're going to put temple fees on top of it. No matter how pure the dove is, we're going to say, no, you got to buy one of ours if you want to be pleasing to God. It's kind of like when you rent a car and it says $19.95 a day, but you go to rent it and it's like, hey, how did that get up to $49.95? Well, there's fees on top of that. Well, why'd you tell me 20 bucks? I mean, that's what they were doing. They were adding fees on top and they were trying to make money on the backs of poor people. And Jesus said, that is not how it's supposed to be. This temple is a temple for everybody. And so that's the first episode of Jesus's anger. Another episode, Jesus is around some religious people and they're trying to trap him and get him to do something wrong. And and so these religious people bring to Jesus this person that has a disability, physical disability, and they say, heal him or will you heal him? And it's the Sabbath and they're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, not even helping people according to the religious rules of the day, not God's rules, but the religious rules. And Jesus, just the fact they were asking him that question, here's what it says. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and was restored. In those two moments, Jesus had this, if you're over 40, you'll know what I'm talking about, this Popeye moment. You know what I'm talking about? You know when Popeye, somebody was messing with olive oil and he would pull out that can of spinach and what he would say, I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Jesus had that moment. He was like, I've had it. Can't stand any more of this. I'm angry. Some scholars say that the anger here that Jesus displayed can be described as beautifully angry. He was angry in a way that says, you need to stop building your wealth on the backs of the poor. You need to stop building up walls to segregate people off. You need to stop having rules that doesn't even allow people to do good things for, on a day just because it's a certain day. And when people started doing that, Jesus got really angry. That's good anger. So what makes you angry? What do you look out at the world and say, it shouldn't be that way? Now, I'm not talking about long carpool lines when you go to pick up your kids or a crazy schedule that's got kids sports going all over the place. You made that schedule, by the way, if it's driving you crazy. I mean, you chose that. I'm not talking about that kind of anger. I'm talking about the kind of anger that says it shouldn't be this way because anger about the right thing is a good thing and it can change the world for the good. There's a couple things that make me angry that makes my blood boil other than my dog barking. I mean, this is like, this is good anger. I'm working on that. Uh, This is good anger. When I see somebody that calls himself a pastor taking advantage of people, especially financially, it drives me crazy. You're making promises or, hey, give money and you'll be healthy. Just say a prayer and, and give money and sow this seed of financial blessing and you'll get this much back. That's ridiculous. The Bible does teach that if we're generous, God's going to be generous with us. But I don't have this line that God says, if they give me a thousand, I'll put 2000 in their bank account. And that's the kind of stories I hear as they walk away to get on their private jet. And I'm thinking, why does that happen? I would love to just one-on-one, like cage fighting match or something like that. Like when I see that, I really get angry. I think I could do okay, actually, you know. The side of me, maybe you don't know, but I, I really... I really start to get angry. And a few years ago, I got to go to Guatemala and stand in this nasty, dirty home. This little girl that we sponsored. What, you can't even call it what we would think of a home. It was a shack built with tin, corrugated tin on top and 
cardboard and a dirt floor that's on the side of a hill. You can't even stand in anything level in the house. They had a baby in the house and that baby was in a hammock. The only way the baby could, you know, be anywhere that wasn't dirty was to hang the baby up in a hammock. And I got to meet this little girl that we'd sponsored for a couple of years. And I got down, I looked her in the eye and I, I told her through a translator how much it meant to us to sponsor her and the letters. And, and on the wall in her house were pictures of Molly and Abby and me and Cinda right by where everybody could see it, the pictures that we had sent her. And they were taped up there, which was really the only color in the house. Everything else looked drab and gray. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get a video of this little girl talking to Molly and Abby and Cinda, and, and you know, and, and they'll be happy for that. And so I, I get down with my phone, and I, I, I tell the translator, hey, talk to, talk, to the, talk to Molly and Abby and my wife Cinda on, the, on this, on this uh, video. And she starts talking, and, and the translator starts talking, but then the translator stops because the little girl's eyes start to well up with tears. And she just starts talking through tears, tears rolling down her face. And I found out later what she was saying. She was just saying, thank you for sending money and sponsoring me, which is only like 35 bucks a month. You know, don't even miss that. Thank you for, thank you for loving me. Thank you for praying for me. I hope someday to come to your home and be able to meet Molly and Abby and Cinda. Everybody in the room, tears, even the tough guy that said, I don't cry. Look back and I'm like, he cries. That did it. And it just, I thought, it shouldn't be this way. There shouldn't be a kid living like that. Can we do something about it? So I came back and I said, we're going to sponsor a bunch of kids. And there's hundreds of kids sponsored because of your generosity. And I thought, this shouldn't be this way. And if I got to use my position to influence you or even make you feel guilty to do it, I'll do it. Because you're, not, you're going to spend $35 a month or more at Starbucks. Come on. And so I get, I get angry about that and think we can do something because we have so much and it takes so little, let's do it. That's why I make no apologies when I say we're going to plant more churches in parts of the world that need a light in their community where you can't just go church shopping like so many of you do week after week. You can't do that because there's nowhere to go. So we're going to keep planting churches in parts of the world where there are none. And if I got to ask you every year, we need $80,000 more to do it again, I'm going to ask. And if you don't like it, I'm going to keep asking. I only care a little what you think, but I'm, I'm going to keep asking because I'm passionate about that. So what is it that makes you angry? It may not be any of that stuff, and that's okay. But God has wired you up and gifted you in such a way that there's something when you look out at the world, you say, it shouldn't be like that. For you, it might be as simple as those kids at my kid's school should be able to have regular meals. So why don't we bring a couple of them home for a weekend so they can at least for a couple of days see what a family unit looks like because they've never seen it. See what it's like to have dinner on the table instead of at a convenience store. Maybe for you, you're passionate about foster care or adoption or whatever it is that brings the love of God into somebody's life where they don't feel it and they don't know it. Maybe you feel your, fill up your car with, with uh, little bags that when you see somebody holding one of those signs, you hand that out to them, or you stop and say, tell me your story and why you're here. Some of them will talk to you. Some won't, some will, and they'll tell you their story. It'll change the way you see that. 
when you pass somebody. So I don't know what your passions are, but God has uniquely gifted you in a way to be angry about things that can change the world and shine a light on Jesus and his love and his grace that is for everybody. The organization World Vision probably has taken care of more hungry kids around the world than any other organization. And all of that started because the founder, Bob Pierce, went to China, went to Korea, and saw this horrible hunger. This was in 1947. And he was standing in this line where all these little kids were coming up, and he was at the front of the line when they ran out of food, and he was there when the person serving had to say, honey, we don't have any more. He got angry about that and said, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way. It's our responsibility. So on the way home, he writes on the front of his Bible, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And he did, and he's helped change the world. Anger about the right thing is a good thing. May you figure out what that is in your life that can shine a light on Jesus and his love and grace and pursue it. Let's pray. God, please help us to have good anger. May we be angry in such a way that causes people to ask questions. May we be motivated by Jesus' anger. I pray this in his name. Amen.